Hi, it's Shauna McDonald with Brookline PR and our Beyond PR podcast. We're back with our guest, Jocelyn Laidlaw. Welcome, Joss. Hi, honey. It's great to see you. I'm so excited for this today. This is so exciting. I know. Just sitting here having this little banter with this awesome lady. So many of you know Jocelyn. She's a senior anchor with CTV News. But I want to talk about more than just reporting today mm-hmm. and you and your industry and your career Um, But we will certainly get there. Um, I think about the first time I really officially met you was at our son's school. And I thought, you know, that's Jocelyn Laidlaw sitting over there. Went up and said hi. Our kids were in the same grade, going into a new school. And I think since then, fast friends. Right. I felt an instant connection with you. And first of all, you were beautifully dressed, which I was like, look at her. She's beautiful. Have you seen this woman on television? Like, hello, beautiful. (laughs) No, you were so well turned out. And I could tell right away that you were a hard working mom. You had that look in your eyes. What does that mean? I don't know. It's the intense stare of a mom who right now I'm on mommy duty, but later I have all these things to do. I could see it. And our sons were going through this, um, you know, new new school yes. process together. Yes. And that was really lovely. And I went home and I said to my husband, I just met somebody so great. And of course, your boy was adorable. And our boys are still friends. And I that's know. so I lovely. Know. And so are we. And I'm grateful for that. And Avery's so sad he can't make Trafford's birthday party. But right. we're going to try another day. Yeah, we'll make it work. Yes, we have, we we have lots of private play dates we can always do. Awesome. So speaking of having that image, whether it's in PR or reporting, I always have wanted to ask you, because honestly, you always look so beautiful, but in terms of expectations and that image that's set, do you feel pressure, let's say going to the grocery store, or is it, this is Jocelyn all the time? So early in my career, I felt an intense amount of pressure, right. um, which, is in, which is ironic because early in my career, I was really focused on the work um, and I wasn't an anchor as often. I was a fill-in anchor. When I was a reporter, I, I, look, by the end of the day, I looked a crazy mess because I, I had been working my tail off to get the story in Vancouver in the pouring rain and terrible conditions and in a vehicle and the little makeup kit that you carry. But I, I've always felt the pressure. Um, most of it is, much of it is self-imposed. Of course, Because right? you can choose to be as high maintenance in this industry as you want to be. Um, I feel it more intensely as an anchor, obviously, because all they see is me in the box, in this square, presented in in sort of a hermetically sealed environment. Every hair should be in place. Out in the field, they're more likely to uh, sort of dismiss. uh, Rain dawn. Right, right. right. She looks wild because she's been working all day. Or she looks disheveled because she's been uh, in a windstorm or whatever. But that's not the case for anchors. But the beauty is that in my maturity equal age, advancing age, I feel less um, tied to that uh, constraint. It's the words and the work, right? Right. That's what matters. And the effort that's being put in behind the scenes to produce a newscast every day is tremendous. I would argue you're a little bit of a local celebrity, though. Like, think think through not just image, but when you're with your family on the weekends and someone comes up to you, is that, are you protective in the sense that this is family time? Are you very happy to have that conversation that's interesting really small tiny tiny celebrity big fish in a small pond in the global scheme of things right but it still happens but it does happen and I used to be um really um withdrawn and defensive about it I don't know why I can't explain it immaturity perhaps and now when people come up to me my the and it's genuine it's not because I'm forcing it I extend my hand say what's your name introduce myself and say thank you for speaking to me 
I don't know what I was ever afraid of, and I'm just not afraid anymore. I'm so grateful. For, and I thank the, every single person that approaches me. Thank you for watching us. It's more important than ever, and I feel true and deep and profound gratitude to the people of Calgary and all of Southern Alberta who recognize me, feel um, inspired to come up and say something to me, and are so kind and supportive. So you said something really interesting there. It's more important than ever to kind of right. really thank them from a viewer standpoint. And sure. I'm on the other side of, of the media, if you will, where we work together and perhaps garner a story, get attention out there for a client. But you've had an amazing career in reporting, but things have changed. We see it from the PR perspective. Talk to me about how you've seen it change, good and bad. Well, it's a completely different world. Even today, as I speak to you, the changes, the upheaval behind the scenes in broadcast journalism in particular are so profound. I, I'm not sure I could really express them to somebody who isn't in the industry. Uh, digital is everything. Right. Um, digital content is everything. Speed is everything. We've always been tremendous hard workers. But what's required of us now is a complete change of mindset, a completely different approach. And I would argue in newsrooms around the world, there's experimentation going on about how to be the first, be the fastest, and how to reclaim the digital world with legitimate media sources. Is that a good thing, experimentation? I think, like in PR, we're also challenged with media um, right. contacts dwindling. So how do we get that story out in different ways? So we are challenged to experiment and come up with new strategies. Right. And the conversation in newsrooms, I'm sure, around the world, at the local level anyway, has to be um, some of those stories that were easier for you to find a platform for previously have to go to new media. They have to go to social media. They have to go to digital media. They're not going to go to the big... Uh, blue ribbon media outlets right. that dominate the globe because right now the resources simply aren't there to cover every little story uh, and and there's a there's an um, an obvious concern over the penetration of um, corporate news that is news that isn't really maybe news but has a sales angle to it right and as a journalist I've resisted those the penetration of sales into the into the news realm for my entire career. As you should though. As you should, there should be a, a firewall between sales and media and legitimate news content that comes from a, a grassroots organic place. It's more important than ever because as we've seen, uh, people around the world, our viewers, our, our consumers of news, now have a real mistrust for all news gatherers. Are we fake news? Are we selling fake news? Are we, are we promoting fake news, uh, that was something that nobody ever questioned before. When a, when, a, when a network van rolled up with a team in it, a camera person and a reporter, there was an inherent respect uh, and reverence that, that they received out in the community trying to cover stories. I mean, there's always been resistance, but there, it was a different world. Uh, there was, when I rolled up with my camera operator and we were reporting on a story, we were received even sometimes with anger, right? right. But, but with respect that people understood. We represented journalism, the press, and we had a job to do, and they knew what that job was. Well, there's also, um, like from our perspective in PR, you've, yes, got traditional media. You've also got citizen journalism, where both exactly. 
traditional media rely on now because they sometimes don't have the resources where they've taken an image from someone doing their own news story and using it on a national story, sure. a national platform. We have entire segments in shows. You'll see all, all over right. uh, a segment in a show, whether it's trending or click, click the clickable moment of the day or pop star or whatever you want to call it. Uh, these are moments that people have captured that become news, quote unquote news. The speed is so, it's so incredibly fast now. It's so tight. Something is happening at the moment. And if you are not on it at the moment, you're not on it. No, it's over. Right. I think about the Calgary Tower, these eight people trapped recently in the elevator of the Calgary Tower. Strangely, we didn't hear about that till the next day, though we now know that they were on social media and talking to friends on Facebook, which, but think about it, even Facebook turned out to be slower, right, than Twitter or other platforms of social media. I I woke up the next day and when I heard about that, I asked myself, how did I not know about this last night at 10.32 when they were trapped in the elevator at 10.31? That's the expectation. Even as a journalist, that was my expectation. Almost, why didn't they call me personally? Why didn't I hear about this as it was happening? Talk to me about one of your craziest moments in your in your career, good or bad. So I've had a few. I've interviewed I know lots of interesting people. I think back to 2002 in Vancouver when I was a reporter, just before I came to Calgary, and Robert Picton, the notorious serial killer, was arrested. We'd been covering the missing women on the downtown east side of Vancouver for many years. And of course, I was a young reporter, so I just caught the tail end of what was happening. And and the women had been going missing from that area of the city for many years. But it was all crystallizing at that moment. Something was happening and it was coming together that this was more than just women disappearing and not having contact with their families. And I met some of those families. And at the time frame in which Robert Picton was arrested, I, I ended up in a, the RCMP set up a tent on the property in Port Coquitlam. Uh, the Pictons owned this pig farm, which was notorious in the area. It was um, really a grisly and grim and horrible place, aside from what was later discovered there, the remains of these women. It was a horrible place to begin with, muddy and dark and overgrown in that sort of BC green, lush, overgrown way. And I stood under this white tent, like a almost like a, an activity or festival or marketplace type tent that they RCMP set up to keep us dry as we waited for them to make this announcement. And I was on the phone with Robert Picton's brother at the time, telling him his brother was being arrested for the murders of potentially dozens of women and that his brother was quite possibly a serial killer. And I was telling him this as the RCMP was reporting it to us. That was a moment I'll never forget. It was uh, such a dark moment in, uh, in the history of my hometown, Vancouver. I was so saddened and overwhelmed as a young reporter. Where do you begin how do you begin to even contribute you, on the coverage start? of, right? Yeah. Where do you start with this where story? Do you start? And of course, we all know how it played out. Uh, you know, he later admitted or bragged about killing dozens of women and he's in prison for life. But it was a moment I'll never forget. And think about that as a young reporter. This is a massive story and a really grim and uh, a story that comes with a lot of responsibility. How do you deal with it on a day-to-day basis? I know there's great stories to tell, but Lots there's of also great stories. there's also those other stories like this one that you just explained. Right. That you, I'm sure you have more details that you could tell me, but you don't. Right. So there are two me's. There's one before I had children, before I had my son, in 2009, and then there's the me, the after, the mother. 
Um, before I had my son, I had this ability to wall off whatever was disturbing. Of course, the the most important thing was to maintain your composure when you're with people, when you're with members of the community and you're out reporting on stories that are affecting them. I had had tears on stories over the years where it just cut me like a knife. But I did develop a wall, which I think all journalists have to. There has to be a wall that allows you to get the job done. But it can't be so thick, so impenetrable that you cannot empathize with anybody that you're reporting on, whether it's somebody who would traditionally play the role of the bad guy or the victim. Um, but after my son was born, that wall had a huge, deep fissure, a crack, uh, and anything could get through. And when he was a toddler, there was a, a young child in Calgary was crushed and killed on a sea train platform, caught between the platform and a train. And I had done uh, the noon newscast, and this was sort of unfolding as the newscast was on the air. When it came time for the five o'clock, I found myself paralyzed, totally paralyzed. I could actually go back into that moment right now and get pretty emotional, but I just could not. I couldn't. Couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. it it's not a moment of great pride because I should be able to do it, but I was, you know, my child was a toddler and all I could imagine was him. Um, in a way, uh, that's exactly as it should be, of course. I had to find my professional grit. But uh, I had to go to somebody in the newsroom and confess what was happening to me, another woman, and say, help me, help me. And she did. And I'm, I, I came back and did okay. But as you can see, I mean, I'm, okay, I'm crying. <laughs> as am I. So right. Geez. Because I just, uh, that moment uh, is right at the surface for me and always has been. And I try, you know, I have to distance myself from that and find the wall again. Right. But I realized in that moment that all those years I had had that wall up. I'm sure people thought I was an ice, stone cold, heartless person. I wasn't. I was a survivor. And, and I think you need to be with what you have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Right. And, and you bring up, you know, once you were a mom, things changed. And I often look back and think, pre-Avery, my oldest, who's friends with Trafford, I look back and go, how was I as a leader? How was I as a boss? And I was harder. I was having the same expectations that I had of myself as everyone else. Right. And the moment I turned and became a mom, it this, to your point, this crack happened and you were more understanding of after school activities. You were more understanding when your child's sick at home and you have to work from right. home. And I look back and I go, because of my kids, I'm a better boss. I'm a better leader. In the end, I don't think I'll be remembered for being a journalist. I think I'll be remembered for being a daughter and a wife and a mother and a sister. And that's really what matters. But it took, it, I mean, the ground had to shake with the birth of my son. I was hit by a thunderbolt. And I changed completely as a person. Daryl Jans, who's um, one of the loveliest human beings I've ever met. And a tremendously respected anchor in the city of Calgary. I mean, he really is news in Calgary, and he probably always will be. He told me, I've never seen anyone change more. In a, in a good way. In of a course. Good, right, in a good a way. And I wear it as a badge of honor. I'm not always proud of the person I was before because I was hard. I was so driven. I was so focused. And it was the most important thing in the world to me, more important even than any relationships I had at the time. Both of us 
have had kids later in life. Yeah, waited had, way too long, by the way. I waited way too and long. And let's, let's, can we chat about that? Yeah. So I had Avery at 35 and I had Gavin at 39. Mm-hmm. And I know you You were I, a baby oh. <laughs> by comparison. Please. Well, I was 41. You were 41. Yeah. But at the same time, I think 35, yes, for Avery. 39, Gavin, yeah. very similar to Trafford. So, you know, walk me through that process. And, um, and I don't want to say, do you, you said you have many regrets. So let's talk about that. I know people hate to say they have regrets and it's very, um, it's very applauded to say I have no regrets, but I think, to be honest, I think people are lying when they say they have no regrets because gosh, I have to look back and acknowledge the mistakes I've made. doesn't mean I let them haunt me, but I waited too long. We waited too long. I devoted all my energy to chasing my career. It, it took me from Vancouver to Regina to fill in on a mat leave with Global Television there where I anchored uh, for a while, and I learned a lot, um, a lot, and necessarily. Then I went back to Vancouver, uh, reunited with my husband there, and then I got the opportunity to come here. He did not immediately get a job in Calgary. So for four and a half years, he lived in Vancouver, and I lived here with our dogs. Uh, he held a, a tr- terrific... Difficult to make a baby, maybe. Well, impossible. <laughs> impossible. And the minute he got a what turned out to be a terrific job here in Calgary, and we got settled, we really looked at each other and said, well, what are we doing? The, the, the clock has ticked way past what we thought it would be. Life just raced by. Outline me this story that you've often told me about this Christmas, and yeah. where you really decided, wow, this there is was a, There was a Christmas in Vancouver. We had a, a nice apartment, and I had this designer Christmas tree, and we had a tree full of presents for just the two of us. It was really absurd, actually. It was so extravagant. We had good jobs, and we were making okay money, and, and we... I put all this effort into this Christmas. I served seafood lasagna on Christmas Eve. That's indicative of a couple that has no children. Right? I've been with you at Christmas. Right. You go overboard, my I go friend. Overboard. So I served seafood lasagna, and we sat at a table for two in front of this gorgeous Christmas tree, and I started to cry. I was just overcome with this sense of, is this it? Is this what it looks like 20 years from now, 30 years from now? Christmas doesn't exist without children, without family. So... I knew at that moment that I couldn't let that happen. Now, years did go by before we had our son, but I just, it was an epiphany. Mm -hmm. It was an epiphany that you can be living in this moment in your 20s and 30s where you think this is everything. And I cannot express to people at that age range, this is nothing because play the long game. Play the long game for your career, but also for your personal life. For your life. And, and you say you have regrets. Do you have regrets or do you have guilt? Because so, um, I sometimes feel like I have guilt. Oh, there's no there's, what, guilt about everything, right? Guilt about no, waiting too long. Yeah. I, wait, I waited too long. I could have had more time as a young mother with my son. He's tremendous. And look, I'm a better parent because I was more mature. I think we, we can all agree on that, generally speaking. You know more mm-hmm. by the time you have a child at 40. But yeah, I could have had... I could have had all those years and maybe more children, to be perfectly frank, and I don't speak about it to anybody other than my closest family, but yes, we would have had more children and it would have been a different story. But I, so I have regret about that. And I, sh- but what I try to do is turn that around and share that with the women I see coming up behind me who are, I see them like so laser focused on Driven. career. I'm like, I see you, I get where you're at. But let me tell you something, this is what happened to me. And I would change some things if I could. But listen, there's no better place to be than a confident woman, comfortable in her own skin, 
um, in her career and raising her family. I, I, I can't think of anything more satisfying, challenging, for sure, but rewarding, really rewarding. Let's talk about a working woman, not necessarily mm-hmm. a working mom, but a working woman. Um, I often get asked, Shauna, you know, talk to us about being a woman in business. And it, and the team at Brookline knows that drives me bananas because I think, in my opinion, we're past a woman in business. I'm a person. Yeah. I am just as good, if any, if anything, next to my peer. So, and then looking back on my career, I'm often asked, you know, was there any time where there was a glass ceiling or you felt that you were not given an opportunity or position because of a man or because they didn't feel you were good enough because you were a woman. I want to get your opinion and perspective on that. So I, I would say when I came into journalism, broadcasting in particular, we were on, uh, on an art, you know, the pendulum swings, and I don't know if you've experienced it, but the pendulum swings quite far to the right, then to the left, or whatever direction you want to call it, one way and then the other. And when I jumped on, the pendulum was swinging towards hiring more women. For the sake of hiring more women, I think it was crystal clear. And, and look, I, I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. You're hiring me because I'm a woman? Fine. And I'm going to show you that it doesn't really matter that I'm a woman. I'm just going to do a good job. And I was passionate about it. Um, But did I, I definitely felt, and I probably did myself a disservice over the years, that I had to laugh along with jokes that probably weren't okay when I look back. And in the, through the present lens of things as a woman in the workforce, we are viewing things completely differently. The, the pendulum. The lens has changed. The lens Absolutely. has changed. Yes. The pendulum now is swinging where it needs to swing to be corrected, right? And so, yes, I laughed at jokes so I could be a good sport, to be quote unquote one of the boys, and the jokes were sometimes often at my expense. I regret that, but that was the moment. That was at that moment in time. That was what I felt I had to do to survive. Because what I didn't want to do, and isn't this sad, was get in there and be a troublemaker although I am by nature a troublemaker. Yes, you are. I didn't want to get in there and be a troublemaker as a woman. I didn't want special treatment. I didn't want, oh, she's too sensitive because she's a woman. So I, I had to show that I could roll with those punches. But in the, and, and what I should have done was say, man, those punches are just totally inappropriate because they were aimed at my gender. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the end, I'm stronger for it. But it would be really nice if we could all just stop with that nonsense in the workplace. You know what? It's also interesting is I think we also forget about women supporting women. I right. think that um, it's often been a competition because oftentimes it's only one or two opportunities for women, and so it's a bit of a claw nature, if you will. Yep. And I do think that our peers of women could be more supportive, and I think we're getting there as well. But I think there could be more done in that area. What are your thoughts? I would agree. I've had some um, really wonderful mentors over the years. I can think of two in particular. Uh, one who has been, you know, even when I don't speak to her for a number of years and I reach out, she's just tremendously supportive. Uh, she took me aside once early in my career and said, okay, you're expecting too much. Get off your high horse. I'm like, okay, message received. I could not have received it from anyone else because she meant it from a really kind and generous place. She could have let me scuttle myself. She could have let me sink my own ship. And she didn't. And she set me straight on my course. 
And I was grateful for that. I never forgot that moment. And you respected that at the time? I respect it hurt, mm -hmm. but she was right. And I respected it a lot. And I, for those who have shown willingness, I've tried to mentor as well for whatever little bit I can offer. Um, and that, and that's on occasion, it has been to, to encourage people to push harder. Don't be afraid, push harder. And again, this goes back to this new reality that we're in. We should also not be labeling women who are ambitious and tough with, with derogatory terms. Like really, why? Those days are over. Those days are over. They are. Absolutely. They are. Speaking of women, mm -hmm. um, the theme for this year's podcast is all about being different. And we are interviewing all the ladies that were in our International Women's Day video, you being one of them, my so beautiful much friend. So much fun. Talk to me about your experience. So I sent you an email. I said, here's what I'm thinking of doing. We're going to do this amazing video with these awesome mm -hmm. women in, in the city and uh, outside as well. Would you be interested? And you were the first to respond. Was I really? Say, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. Why? Huge hand clap yes. gesture. I'm in. I'm in. Well, first of all, because secretly, deep down inside, if I wasn't a journalist, I would have been a pop star. I Though I can't it. sing, right? You know, my, like, J-Lo, she's my girl. She is. Uh, yeah. And we're both Leos and born in August and all the hair and everything. I oh just, I, I feel, I feel a connection to the pop star thing. So it's fun. It was a fun you are role J to play. J-Law. J-Law. Yeah, they have yeah. called me that over the years. J-Law, J-Lo. Um, so that was fun. It was a little role play dream moment. But also because, you know, the, the message is so, it resonates with me, these terrific women coming together. What great women I met that day on the set. So much fun. Gosh, to let down your guard as a, as a news anchor too, right? Because people see me. I'm not actually an in-a-box kind of person. I, I am gregarious, but people don't see me that way on TV so much. So it was fun to let my hair down a little bit. And I really tried to memorize the lyrics of the Maroon 5 did. song. Um, but it was just so much fun. And it, the result was beautiful. And it celebrated women and motherhood and women from all walks of life, incredible uh, achievers through a diverse um, group of people. And I, I really was so honored to be included in that. I really felt humbled because some of those women, wow, they're just blowing, they're, they're blowing out of the water. They're, they're incredible achievers, Olympians and leaders in their communities. And I was honored to be a part of it. It was so much fun. So we're asking all of our guests at the very end to really define what it means to be different. That's Brookline's theme for this year. That's mm -hmm. really why we put that International Women's Day video together. What does different mean to Jocelyn Laidlaw? Well, if I'm being really honest, instantly rule breaker comes to mind because I, you know, I don't know, maybe it's uh, something my dad planted in me when I was a kid along. He was a terrible rule breaker and he planted that in me a long time ago. It can be difficult in life, but being different sometimes means breaking the rule. Actually, it always means breaking the rules. And if you're going to wear it as a badge of honor, it's about harnessing that difference for positivity. I mean, you can be a rule breaker and it can get you in trouble in life, or you can be a rule breaker that can break new ground. And then those rules become, they fall away, they break away, whether it's gender constraints or um, racial constraints, um, all these things, abilities, disabilities. For me, being different is about sometimes embracing, breaking the rules 
for the right reasons and being a bold rule breaker. You are a rule breaker. I know. It's going to get me in a lot of trouble one it day. It already has. I know. I love that. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, this was such a fun time with you as my friend, but also as who you are in our community as a CTV senior anchor. So thank you for coming down. Thanks. And we appreciate it. So I'm so grateful. Let's do this again. And I'm grateful to the city of Calgary for all the love they've shown me over the past 16 years that I've been here. But I have to be honest with you, I forgot about the microphone and I felt like we were just sitting on your patio with that sangria having a chat. I love it. Thank you again, Josh. Thank you, honey.